Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Potomac Perspective. I'm Neil Shapiro, Head of Communications at Stiefel, joined by Brian Gardner, our Chief Washington Policy Strategist. Hey, Brian. Neil, good uh, good morning. I guess it's still morning. Yep, good to be with you. It is morning for now. It's morning. It's always morning somewhere, Brian. And, you know, we have a global... Also five o'clock somewhere, Neil. That, that's uh, true. We could take this podcast in a whole different direction. It's true. And we do have a global audience. So I'm sure whenever someone is listening, it, it's, it could be morning, it could be five o'clock. I just hope for everybody's sake in our global audience that they're not sitting and watching either the Jets or the Giants because you could find something better to do with your time. I can I can tell you I'm not. Uh, <laughs> the fact that I live in Washington, D.C., I was spared having to watch the Giants because they that game was not carried yeah. here. So um, I was very happy that um, that I didn't have to suffer through that. Um, uh, you know, I think at this point, Gi- Giant fans are definitely just looking at the draft at this point. We're already yeah. in draft mode. Jet- Jets fans, not there yet because, one, you're going to get a middle – middle pick in the first middle first round pick unless i'm missing something on trades um uh and and technically you're still in the hunt well i mean i guess technically technically that's why mathematically yes but you know it's funny you said that the giants game was not seen in washington you know coming into the season the jets have i can't remember the last time the jets had a primetime game and coming into the season they got loaded up with primetime games because everyone I wonder why rogers etc so now the jets you know they haven't scored an offensive touchdown and god only knows how many drives it's something like some crazy number it's 11 quarters whatever it is and now you're forced to watch them because because they've got all the primetime games so you know as a jet fan you kind of in the beginning of the season, it's kind of cool. Your team is on prime time like six times this season, but now you're actually forced to watch it. And as I said, the team has not scored a t- touchdown in something like 60-some-odd drives. It's cra- It's a crazy number. Well, it, it, at least your Mets have a new manager. Yeah, I don't know about that either, but... Okay, yeah. well, you know, I'm, I'm my baseball team, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what's going on with our president and GM because he seems he seems to be... This is Brian Cashman at the yes. It's almost like he's trying to get fired at this point. It's some of some of the statements and behavior. I don't know if I would even use the word borders uh, to qualify. Yeah, bizarre. it's just he's, he's had the jobs for a long time. Yep. By yep. the way, just one last footnote on the Jets, and I don't know if I was surprised or shocked at this statistic. I guess I'd never thought about it, but I read somewhere that Zach Wilson has thrown a touchdown on roughly two percent of the passes he's thrown, which at first I thought, well, I mean, that doesn't seem that crazy because how many touchdown passes really are there? But apparently that's the lowest number in like modern NFL history for the amount of passes that he's thrown. Yeah. So just taking it back to the giants. I'm just, you know, they're, they're going to draft a quarterback. I'm just hoping that they pick does not turn out to be the next Zach Wilson. No, no. Well, I hope so too. All right. Well, now that we've covered the football season and touched on baseball, now we have to go to our other favorite sport, which is really the reason for the podcast, which is politics and everything going on in Washington. Well, you know, this is a better segue than normal because, yeah. you know, for those people who have not been following, don't follow Washington that closely, the last couple of days, politics has been a contact sport. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Literally. Quite literally. Well, there have been threats of fights in the Senate. Yeah. 
There's been a pushing match in the house. Uh, yes. Well, this is the, we have now moved into uh, into the combat sport portion of the podcast. Ber- Bernie Sanders yesterday was like you know basically playing referee. I saw, yeah. and uh, there was a shoulder jab from McCarthy, and all, yeah, you're right. Ber- Bernie's been calling for a ceasefire in Gaza and the United States Senate. Yeah. Well, um, I don't know if he's going to get either, but we'll see. So speaking of the Senate and Congress and and the contact sport, um, it's been a couple of weeks since we spoke. And I think the last time we talked about the odds for a shutdown and the deadline is coming closer, I believe it's this week. So my question to you is, where are we on the idea of funding the government and a possible shutdown? So I, I think a shutdown is probably going to be averted. Uh, I'm very confident in that at this point. Uh, uh, the House voted yesterday to uh, to pass a continuing resolution to fund the government. It's it's a novel approach. It has two step uh, two kind of buckets of of spending. One that would last into the end of January or mid January. The other would last into early February. The Senate hasn't voted on it yet. Um, that vote will probably come later today wednesday maybe the end of the week um but uh, the the deadline is midnight on saturday um saturday morning uh so i i think at this point a, a shutdown is very unlikely um obviously things can always go wrong but it yeah. looks like it looks like congress is going to kick the can down the road uh into early 2024 and as they often do as they often do and we'll wind up going through many of these fights all over again in two two and a half months well um we'll have you in the office at midnight friday to saturday just in case monitoring the situation i won't be on duty but we could put you on you could handle that for us i'll uh, i'll i'll be i'll be plugged in so assuming what you say is correct and we avert a shutdown what do we then focus on or what does congress then focus on um in terms of the agenda yeah there's there's always a package of year-end legislation and the big one is the national defense authorization act uh the ndaa um not only is it important for um u.s defense policy but because it's a must-pass bill, um, a lot of members look to attach their uh, their to-do list uh, onto the NDAA. So there are a couple of things, and we've talked about some of these before, um, but they're going to come more into focus after Thanksgiving. Uh, there could be some possible corporate tax changes to the uh, uh, change in the formula for the business interest deduction, uh, changing R&D expensing. Uh, changing the rules around bonus depreciation. Uh, there have been negotiations going on. Uh, I'm not going to get too deep in the weeds on this, but uh, there there does seem seem to be some some bipartisan agreement. Um, uh, so this could all fall apart, and and it may at the end of the day. But the the two tax writing committees have been working on on this tax package, and and there may be some agreement uh, in the next couple of weeks. Um, then there's a package of financial services legislation, um, and this gets a little bit more complicated. Uh, it's cannabis banking, uh, some cryptocurrency legislation, executive comp clawbacks for failed banks, uh, credit card network legislation. Um, each of those bills has its supporters and its opponents. Um, to the extent that Washington can can still engage in horse trading 
um, it's possible that some of that legislation might make the cut. So that that's something uh, uh, to be aware of. And then um, uh, a vetting process for some outbound investments into China. Um, uh, the administration has been working on its own protocol, its own framework. Uh, Congress may step in uh, with something more aggressive than what the administration has put out there. So uh, I, I think December is not going to be as busy as it has been in the last couple of years, because the last couple of years, it's also included, you know, these funding bills, um, which has been punted. Um, but uh, December is still going to be busy. It's It seems that way. And, you know, Brian, you just um, you mentioned China and sticking with China. President Biden has a pretty big meeting um today this week i believe um on the on you know in regards to china tell us a little bit about that and what you're expecting so there, there's a um there's an economic conference the asia pacific economic cooperation group um has a uh uh has a conference in san francisco uh and president biden's going to speak there president xi is going to speak there they are going to have a meeting a bilateral meeting uh which they have not had in quite some time and they, by all by all accounts, they haven't even really been speaking on the phone either. For right, and and so yeah, th so this kind of that that this is all the positive of the meeting: the fact that they're going to meet face to face, the 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 fact that they're going to speak. Um, it seems that they are going to reestablish back channel military yep. communications. This is very positive in in global geopolitical terms. Um, this is a plus because it 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 gives it helps reduce tensions. Mm -hmm. Um, and in the Pacific. So that that is a positive. But at the same time, um, despite the the positive headlines that are going to come out of this meeting, after the meeting, the U.S. is going to pivot back to some domestic policies, um, economic policies. And I don't uh, that that relate to China. And I don't think these meetings are are going to change that. Um what about the uh okay so that's so we're set with china and the last time we spoke we were heading into election day mm -hmm. and uh we haven't really spoken since then we talked a little bit about what's at stake we talked about some of the bellwethers so i guess let's let's kind of pivot to the election and talk a, about what we learned um from the, the results of of the of this off-year election so, so the the elections also coincided with a series of polls on the presidential race. So I, I, let's cover both of them. We'll start with the election. Um, so the the headline coming out of the election was that Republicans lost. Um, and really, at a top line level, it's hard to disagree. They wanted they they failed to win back the the Kentucky governor's uh, mansion uh, in Virginia. They were trying to flip the state senate and control the state legislature not only did they fail to do that they actually lost the house so they've lost the legislature um uh kentucky going back to kentucky you know as we mentioned on the last podcast it's been a bellwether um the past five straight uh election cycles the uh the governor's race in kentucky has called the presidential race and seven out of the last eight Right. And so uh, the Democratic uh, governor, uh, Governor Bashir, was was reelected. Um, now, that's that's all the, the bad news for Republicans and good news for Democrats. Um, what I think has been lost is that the results are much more nuanced than than the headlines. Um, so sticking with Kentucky for a second, um, 
Governor Bashir is is just unique. Um, uh, so Republicans won every other statewide office in Kentucky. Bashir was the only Democrat to win statewide uh, in the in the Commonwealth. Um, so there's that. Um, his name means something. The Bashir name means something. His father had been governor. The Bashir name means moderate Democrat, not liberal Democrat that cannot win in Kentucky. Um, early in his tenure, there were natural disasters. He got very good marks for mm-hmm. tornadoes, flooding. Um, uh, talking to folks out in Kentucky, I, I happened to be there uh, the week before the election. You know, I, I heard a common theme that no matter where there was a factory opening, or some some infrastructure announcement in in the Commonwealth, Governor Bashir was there, and so I think he was able to um, overperform, outperform other Democrats yeah. because he he was so good at his job, and because the the Bashir name means something. So you're saying you're saying don't read too much don't read too into much this reelection from a national standpoint. On, on the other side, you know um, the uh, the Republican candidate. Uh, uh, the the attorney general, uh, Mr. Cameron, he kind of leaned into Donald Trump. And I do mm. think I don't think that cost him the election, but I think it made it the margin wider than it would have been otherwise. So that, that's Kentucky. Virginia, um, yeah, I think, has Republicans more worried. Um, but in the aftermath of Virginia, when, when all the results are in, I think you have to take a closer look. So Yes, they failed to flip the Senate, but they did gain a seat in the state Senate. Yes, they lost the House. They lost seats in the House and they lost the House. But the aggregate vote totals in Virginia are basically identical to 2021 when Glenn Youngkin was elected. They've gone through redistricting and Mm -hmm. Democrats did well in redistricting in Virginia. And so and and it showed on on election night. But there wasn't some move away from Republicans. Matter of fact, there's also I've also seen reports that Republicans carried every district in Virginia where Joe Biden won between zero and eight points, where his margin was eight points or less. Republicans carried every one of those districts. Wow. That's not a that that's not a it's not a terrible sign for Republicans. It's not a great sign for 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 Biden. Um, yeah. So. I just I think it's more mixed than than, than the headlines. So yeah. the headlines, Republicans lost. That it, it, it's pretty clear. But when you dig below the surface a little bit, it's more nuanced. Got it. Well, you mentioned um, that a lot of the um, that there were a lot of polling. There was a lot of polling done in conjunction with the election. So maybe we talk a little bit about that and and what are your thoughts on what we're seeing out of the polls. Yeah, so right uh the weekend before the election, the New York Times came out with some very detailed polling. Um it was followed up by I think Bloomberg um came out with some some polling that looks at the at the competitive states. Um they had done some polling back in October as well. And the the, the top not line numbers are very alarming for the Biden campaign. There's there's no doubt about it. Um but polls a year out from the election. A long way to go. They're not predictive. Yeah, absolutely not predictive um, there. And when you dig into the numbers a little bit, there are some things that stood out to me as giving pause, uh, a caution for Republicans to get too optimistic about what they mean. One is uh, this is the number that really jumped out at me um, in some of these key states. Uh, the New York Times poll had Donald Trump winning about 20 percent of the black vote. Now, 
I think you can make a very good argument that Donald Trump is going to get more working class black voters than he has in past two elections. I have a real tough time getting to the twenty percent. Twenty percent. Yeah, that's high. And 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 I think and I think that goes to the point that these polls again a year out are not predictive. Voters are frustrated. Um, they are expressing their frustration in the polls. Um, but I think after a campaign in a year from now, I think a lot of those voters, um, you know, black voters and, and other constituencies in the Amer- in the Democratic Party, younger voters who who also uh, showed some frustration with the Biden campaign, Biden administration. I think they will eventually return home to the Democratic Party. Um, um, that doesn't mean that Biden doesn't have problems with them. Right. Maybe there's lower turnout that he's going to lose some of them. And then there is the, the you know, the third party element, which is entirely unpredictable. And especially for younger voters, um, they may decide to go third party with Robert F. Kennedy Jr., the Green Party. Um, the Libertarian Party's out there. Cornell West is out there. No Labels is is out there. Is um, Joe Manchin is Joe Manchin a possibility? I would. Is he a possibility? Yes. Is he a probability? No. No. Um, I, I I don't think he is going. I, I could be wrong. I, I I I'm skeptical that he's going to run on the No Labels platform or or any other platform. Yeah. But let's just assume for a second that No Labels does get some name candidate to run on their platform. I just named five third party independent candidacies um, that I could see collectively getting anywhere from 10 to 20% of the vote. And that means they are going to have a big impact. Sure. Especially in those close states. You know, sure. the, kind of the proxy that I keep going back to is 2016, uh, Wisconsin, Jill Stein, the, the Green Party candidate, who was going to be the Green Party candidate this time around, she won about 33,000 votes in Wisconsin, and Trump carried the state by somewhere between 16 and 17,000. Yeah. That's determinative. And yeah. um, there are other dynamics going on. Obviously, the situation in the Middle East is very polarizing here in the United States. Um, you know, the, the, the Arab community... Um, is concentrated in a couple states, Michigan being one of them. There are 200,000 Arab American voters in the state of Michigan. Uh, They have voted predominantly for Democrats in past election cycles. They're very upset with the Biden administration's uh, stance in the Middle East. They think it's too pro-Israel. That's going to be a big problem. And, you know, conversely, you know, uh, the administration has now called for, you know, leaning on Israel a little bit to to go easy in Gaza, maybe take a pause. Uh, um, you know, there is the possibility of alienating some Jewish American voters. Um, we don't know. Um, th- there's a lot, there are a lot of moving parts. Um, and the Middle East conflict is one of those that, that make the election this far out totally unpredictable. Yeah. Well, so let me ask you this, Brian. So I think we've, we, it sounds like 
there's a lot that still needs to be decided, assuming it's Trump versus Biden, which I think we've talked about before that, you know, you think unless something major happens, it is going to be Trump versus Biden. What happens between the two of them? There's a lot that can happen. I guess my question is, we've seen a few of these Republican debates. We've seen um, Tim Scott drop out. We've seen Pence drop out. So I guess the question is, does Donald Trump really have a lock on the Republican Party? Is there anybody that could do we have enough time for anyone to make headway Does someone like nikki haley who seems to have gotten some good marks recently does she stand any chance or are we definitely in your mind looking at a trump versus biden rematch I, you know I, i'll never say definitely but highly likely um so on the republican side um you noted that there has been a consolidation uh in the in the republican race pence is out scott is out but between the two of them, they collectively had what percent. Yeah. So their departure does not materially change the race. Um, it makes it less crowded, but um numerically it doesn't it doesn't change the trajectory. Even if all of those voters, that's not gonna happen, but even if all those voters were to go to one candidate like this, yeah. It's you know, still so, I mean the, the only thing I think it does and, and it's way too early for this, but as they drop out and there's fewer and fewer people campaigning and there's fewer and fewer people on the debate stage, it does kind of change the dynamics when you get them all together. Yeah, a little bit. Um, um, but again, you know, th that's fine. But there's one person missing from that. Yeah. So Ron Gardner. Uh, well, uh, you know, maybe the moderators. Just, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Not, not behind the podium. Uh, yes. Um, so, look, I, I think it helps Haley. Um not to mention the fact that um because she has done well in debates um she has she's gained a little bit of momentum she's still 30 points plus behind in iowa and new hampshire the early states right so yes yeah. has she gained yes but okay instead of being 35 points behind yeah she's 30 31 points behind and so, i think yeah, and I, I I don't know how you feel about it, but I also feel like as long as some of these geopolitical issues that you mentioned earlier stay at the forefront, I think that works well for her because that's one area that she has at least some experience in with her work at the I think U.S. It's an overreading. I think, think it's an overreading. Um, because there are there is a block of Trump voters. And even those people who have not, who did not vote for Donald Trump in the past and were critical of Trump in the past, who have come around and will, will utter the mantra, Trump never got us into a war. Um, I'm not saying that I agree with their, their reasoning and their rationale, but there is a view out there that in, in an era of chaos and growing international tensions, um, Donald Trump did not get the U.S. further entangled into uh, foreign affairs, foreign foreign wars. And so don't don't think that I, I think it's a mistake to, to view today's situation as really helping Haley because of her U.N. experience. Um, it, it may actually help Donald Trump more. I, but pivoting back to Haley for a second. Because I mean, I meant, by the way, her just over the other candidates oh, who are yeah, actively yeah. Okay. that's what i meant not not over trump yeah. i meant over christie yeah. and over the that's, that's fair that's what i meant um, but what what could help haley going forward is that because she has emerged really as the um the more likely alternative to trump um 
Republican donors are turning to her. Yeah. Uh, Ken Griffin uh, was interviewed on Bloomberg yesterday. He didn't endorse. He all but endorsed her. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think his checkbook is probably open to the Haley campaign. There are other um, large Republican donors that are looking around for alternatives to Trump. And they're really going I think a lot of them are going to settle for her. So she will have the money to wage a campaign um, through the first couple of months of 24. Yeah, she can hang around if she wants to hang around. Um, now, money can't buy votes, despite the cynical view out there. Um, money doesn't move votes. It makes it keeps the campaign viable. Yeah. Those donors don't get to vote in Iowa and New Hampshire. Yeah. Um, so it's important, but uh, important up to a point. So we didn't talk about this in advance, but I'll just throw this out as the last thing. I don't know if you caught it, but over the weekend, I noticed that Trump went to a boxing or UFC UFC fight in Madison Square Garden, flanked by Tucker Carlson. And there were several stories that noted, you know, Tucker Carlson could be the vice president, uh, could be the running mate for Trump. And I only mention it because, as you know, Brian, historically... Not all the time, but a lot of times the vice presidential candidate comes from the field of contenders for the top job who don't quite make it. So Nikki Haley would be a logical choice possibly for Trump to consider. But I'm going to throw it out there to you. Can you see, let me put it this way. A, do you think that Trump's running mate, if if Trump gets the nomination as you think he will, do you A, think that his running mate will be from this other cast of characters who's running for the top job? Or B, if not, do you think that there's really a chance that someone like a Tucker Carlson could end up on this ticket? So the the first part of your question, will it come from the current Republican field? I think there's only one person in that field who might be on the ticket with Trump, and that's uh, Ramaswamy. Yeah. Who clearly wants the job. Yeah. Um, But uh, I'm skeptical he's going to get it, but he's the only one because... That gets me. That gets us to the answer to your second question: Could it be Tucker or somebody else? So the, I think, the the makeup of the person that, that of Trump's running mate is going to be a non-establishment, anti-establishment type of person. Ramaswamy fits that bill. Tucker Carlson fits that bill. There are a couple of other political outside uh office holders who are political outsiders and yeah you know, P- what about what about the woman who who lost the arizona governor race so K- carrie lake would would be on yes. had she won the governor's race but she lost now she's going to run for senate she's not going to run for senate and vice president at the same time um but i i thought had she won the governor's race i would have had her at, yeah. as, a, as a top running mate um uh governor Nome in south in the dakotas uh i think she is a possibility um an outsider um uh you can get to any number of what i would refer to as bomb throwers um people who really like to to mix up create chaos in the political world i'll put a i'll put a name out there not that i think she's going to be the nominee but i'm going to use her as a proxy for for a host of these other type of this type of this profile of person, Congresswoman from Georgia, Marjorie Taylor Greene, mm-hmm. that, that type of person who is bombastic, unrelenting, unapologetic, does not come from the establishment. There is no way Donald Trump is going to 
choose anybody from the establishment because in his first term yeah he's not going pence again no the the yeah exactly the 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 establishment betrayed him in his view and so he's yeah. going to repeat that mistake and so i think the profile of his running mate is going to be an outsider anti-establishment bomb thrower unapologetically pro-trump would never ever betray him would lay down the on the tracks if he uh, and you know in front of an oncoming train if he told them to maria bartiromo i've heard crazier um it's interesting and you know we're basically out of time but and and maybe i'm just not up to speed on all of this but i thought when Carlson got fired from Fox as part of that whole lawsuit with the voting machine, uh, Dominion, the, the, I thought when they released the texts, Carlson was speaking negatively of he Trump. Was. So what happened? What, now what they're hanging out on Saturday nights at Madison Square Garden seeing ultimate fighting contest and he's rumored to be a vice presidential candidate. Did Donald, I miss something? Donald Trump hangs out with many people who not us support him publicly support him and criticize him behind the scenes it's yeah you know, i think he's just come to terms with that but again he's not going to go with somebody he, he can go to with somebody who is critical of him but he can't go with someone who is seen as as critical and part of the establishment that's the problem tucker yeah. is clearly anti-establishment um yeah and populist and could fit the, the the Trump profile. Now, you know, there, there would have to be a loyalty test. Does Donald Trump trust Tucker or anybody else to, you know, to take a bullet? You know, I don't mean to be vulgar, but that's that's what it comes down to. Are you going to take the political bullet for Donald Trump and do whatever it have to uh, to stay to stay loyal to Trump? That is the ultimate test hmm. for, for who he's going to pick. All right. Well, that was a lot. We covered a lot, Brian. I know we didn't really plan on getting into that stuff at the end, but it's always interesting. And I saw that stuff over the weekend and I said, wow, this would be something. It would definitely be if we thought the first, if we thought the 2016 and the 2020 campaigns were entertaining, the idea of Trump running with someone like a Tucker Carlson or something like that, I mean, brings the entertainment value that much higher. Well, I mean, it is, I, I, I know we've kind of gone over time, but you know, it, it does circle back to a big question that I have going into the election, which is the last two cycles, the last two presidential elections have seen very high voter turnout. Um, are voters going to be exhausted by all of this? Yeah. Um, and does that does that tamp down turnout? I don't know. Yeah, I, I suspect it doesn't. Um but I do have a, I'm not confident in that view. I'm I'm trying to figure it out. I think also, like you said, so much could happen. We still have a year. Yep. So much could happen that could re-energize people or disengage people. So it's just like you say. Things have not been run yet. No, it's kind of like, you know, everybody could be in first place in April and then come see me at, you know, game 162 and see where people are. It's a little Welcome hard to read too much. Welcome like a true Met fan. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly right. All right. Well, Brian, thanks so much. I think Thank we you, Neil. We, we won't be together until after Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving to uh, to all of our listeners. And same. To yes. Same to you and your family and to all of our listeners as well. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Hope you have a great holiday. We'll see you back here in December um, for another episode of Potomac Perspective. Take care.